Good afternoon, patriots. You are tuned into Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. I am your host, Ryan. Today, we'll talk about the historical parallels of our current situation to the pre-Civil War time period. We'll cover whether the U.S. defaulting might actually be a good thing. And I close out with a new rant. Next, I'm Living with Liberty. When we disregard history, when we allow it to be erased in essence, we are absolutely doomed to repeat it. Now the thing about this is, it takes generations of degrading history, it takes generations of ignoring certain historical facts and aspects, and it takes generations of de-emphasizing the importance of history to make sure it is forgotten. Once it is forgotten, it is made to seem that our current situation is a brand new one, one that's never been faced before in our country's history or in the history of humanity, when in reality it is actually a situation or many situations that have been indeed faced before by those of, uh, that have come before us. History repeats itself. What we are facing today with the authoritarian rhetoric and desire to install a ruling class is nothing new, and I'd say a tyrannical ruling class at that. We have faced it before. It's been faced in history, absolutely, before. I think there's always the comparisons back to Nazi Germany, and we're all looking back to, okay, what did Hitler do? But We've actually faced it on our own soil before. Now, I've been taking a class on the Constitution, trying to learn more about the Constitution and study it more and and be more well-versed in it. The, The class has been fantastic. We have two sets of materials that we are using and studying in our Constitution class. One is the Constitution Alive series. That's a great one. Look it up, pick it up. It's, it's um, I believe, eight DVDs, I think. A great series. Uh, and the other one is Hillsdale College in uh, their Constitution 101 course. Now, this past week, our Hillsdale course was uh, about the Civil War. And it was uh, on the Civil War era um, discussion in relation to the South's recession and how the South actually uh, blatantly disregarded the Constitution in order to tighten their grip on the institution of slavery. Now, the interesting part of that discussion, of the Hillsdale course discussion, are the parallels of what the actions uh, taken by the South were compared to what is going on today and those actions that led up to the Civil War, actually. Now, the South viewed themselves as aristocrats. They wanted to go back to the old feudal system ways, the the British um, aristocracy, if you will. They ended up more of an oligarchy, but their desire was to install a ruling class. They wanted Uh, And the wealthy Southerners, the wealthy plantation owners, viewed themselves as aristocrats 
and they were the ones that were going to rule over the deplorables of the day that included the slaves that included poor the poor whites they uh the the uh, southern plantation owners wanted to live that life of luxury but they didn't want to put in the work their ticket to not putting in the work was slavery they wanted to set up a ruling class so in order to live that life of leisure those wealthy southerners who viewed themselves as the ruling class really had to tighten their grip on slavery and as we all know that uh, slavery in and of itself was a a tyrannical institution anyway uh, by very definition that's what slavery is it's it's a uh, a tyranny uh, perpetrated on another human being. It's uh, so we know it's a a, a tyrannical uh, institution by nature. Uh, so that in turn uh, meant that this ruling class of Southerners wanted to, in essence, put in place some sort of tyrannical rule. They wanted to go back to that aristocracy of they knew best. They were going to rule how they were going to rule. So because the uh, plantation owners wanted to tighten their grip on slavery, they could not allow it to be abolished. It would have caused a total collapse in the aristocratic society that those wealthy Southerners were trying to build. Now, in an attempt to fully transform Southern life into their utopic vision of aristocracy, uh, this, the, the wealthy Southerners, in, in essence, constructed a police state as the rumblings got stronger in support of abolishing slavery. And, and everybody thinks it was the North that was uh, you know, the, the only place where the, the abolitionist movement was. You had pockets in the South as well. Um, and you had pockets in the North that uh, were against abolishing slavery. So it was, you know, the majority were in the North. I, I think, you know, you'll find that the majority uh, opinion in the North was to abolish slavery. Um, but certainly in both North and South, you had instances of, of call it role reversal, right? You had your abolitionists in the South. You had your pro-slavery uh, folks in the North. Now, in order to do this, in order to create this police state, uh, in order to protect this institution of slavery, this tyrannical um, institution of slavery, anti-slavery rhetoric had to be censored. Tyranny, if, if, if it's to continue, has to grow. And in order for it to grow, you have to censor everything that's against it. So in order for slavery to grow, in order for it to remain as an institution, any anti-slavery rhetoric had to be censored. No words were allowed to be printed against slavery. No words were allowed to be spoken out uh, against slavery. No abolitionist ideas were permitted to be spoken about, especially, you know, not especially, but, you know, you couldn't speak freely about them in public, for sure. You know, uh, you probably did behind closed doors in those days because you didn't have a smartphone with a mic that was constantly on, listening in, uh, and, uh, you know, going down the rabbit hole, that mic tied back to an NSA. So I'm sure there was um, conversations behind closed doors in, in the South about, uh, uh, 
kind of bantering about those abolitionist ideas, but they were not permitted. They were not the approved rhetoric of the day that could be spoken about in public. Mail was illegally opened to look for abolitionist, abolitionist material, and it was confiscated when it was found. There were illegal searches and seizures in people's homes. So no warrants, just you had uh, the, the police of the day showing up at, at your doorstep to perform search and, and seizure if they found anything they didn't like. The only way the tyranny of slavery was going to survive was for it to grow, for it to be insulated from any uh, any sort of condemnation and ridicule. So the, these wealthy Southerners, the plantation owners, went into full censorship and liberty trampling mode in order to normalize what is not a normal condition of the human experience. In order for the tyranny to grow, liberty had to shrink, and that's what they were doing here. Now, you also had states that seceded, and the lead into the Civil War became a uh, contest over states' rights. Now, that always, uh, not always, I hate absolutes, you guys know that, but that tends to uh, be where it stops, that this was a states' rights issue, that this was a, a slavery abolition issue, the Civil War, uh, and, and that's what we had to, and that's why we had the Civil War. Well, now, you had, I think, two um, kind of ideas here over the states' rights issue, the 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 first being a state's right to secede, and and what does it say in the Constitution about that? The secession actually challenged the Constitution, and and I think part of that is what led up to uh, the Civil War. But the other state's right question here was just that right of a state to determine whether they were going to allow slavery to exist or not within their borders. Uh, this was an idea of, you know, state's right. It's getting back to that um, call it maybe even that Articles of Confederation stage where each state was still operating as if it were its own country. I think that's what you had here is you have that state's right to uh, for the determination to allow slavery to exist within its borders. Now, the Constitution itself and abolition of slavery were the greatest threats to the uh, society these wealthy Southerners were looking to create. In order for tyranny to survive, it has to grow and it has to become all-encompassing. So not only did it have to be limited to slavery, which was then being challenged, but in order to protect slavery, that tyranny had to grow, had to get outside the borders of slavery into all of Southern society. It had to encompass those that didn't own land, those poor whites uh, that now had to face this because in order to implement this uh, aristocratic society, there had to be a growth of, uh, of that power and control of the wealthy. Now let's contrast that to what we see today and how the incompetent Biden administration is trying to grow the tyranny here. We have a class of corporate oligarchs and corruptocrats who think they are the chosen ones to lead the deplorables to utopia. And all this despite their obvious lack of common sense 
and honestly, all around intelligence. These people are so out of touch with society um, that they don't even live in, in, in a real world. I, I don't know how you could talk to these people about serious things because they live in such an unserious world. But we have that, that class of people who want to implement some sort of their version of utopia. And in order for them to do that, have to take and grow tyrannical measures and shrink our liberty. You can't have two ideas, uh, ideologies of how to, um, of how to govern a people. You have the heavy handedness of tyranny or you have freedom and liberty, which, uh, oh, by the way, has served this country uh, quite well for almost 250 years now. And everywhere that uh, tyranny and tyrannical governments have been implemented, uh, those countries haven't done so well. Now, paralleling to pre-Civil War South, the censorship is, is here, is there for all of us to see. The only difference now is it's more high tech. Unapproved messages can be wiped out with the click of a button there's no hanging on to and hiding those newspaper clippings for reference when, when someone comes knocking at your door looking for unapproved material. You can wipe it out now. Yes, you, you know, I know there's a lot of nothing that's uh, electronics ever really gone once you delete it. Uh, there's markers out there uh, for it. Um, but it's much easier to get rid of it before a lot of people see it, especially if there's no screenshots taken. Then there it was when everybody was getting a, a newspaper and and saving those and clipping them out and and you know keeping that uh, those articles as proof basically. Now you think about our media; it's nothing more than a circus sideshow of shills for the left for the Democrats. Yet it seems, and even though that's blatantly obvious, that there is no thought given to the flip side of the coin whatsoever from uh, from these buffoons in the media. Even though that is fact and it's been demonstrated by many over and over, there are still a number of holdouts within society who believe that outlets like the New York Slimes, the Washington Compost, CCPNN, and MSDNC are serious news outlets that we should take uh, what they say as, as a gospel truth and we look at them as the gospel truth as opposed to the leftist propaganda outlets that they actually are. None of these uh, media outlets tell the truth. They will sit in front of burning buildings and call it a peaceful protest. They will tell you it's a peaceful protest when there's people pouring out of a broken window with bags and boxes full of merchandise from a store they're looting. We have the three-letter agencies that spend more time spying on American citizens without just cause instead of informing us what our, our nuclear-powered enemies are doing. They spend more time spying on Americans than telling us that we have China flying hypersonic missiles through space and, and testing you know, their viability to, to hit a target. No, we, we, we spend more time 
trying to root out extremism within our military than we do actually doing military stuff and defending our borders and showing our military might that we should not be messed with. Now, these three-letter agencies, there's no just cause here. All you have to do is have been in Washington, D.C. on January 6th or just post an unapproved thought on social media in, in the three-letter agencies if the social media company doesn't get you first. Those three-letter agencies will be staked out outside your house. They'll be bugging your house, looking for extremists, trying to crush all unapproved messages that go against the regime and their desire to grow tyranny, their desire to grow their power. There are still January 6th protesters being held in solitary confinement who have not been charged with anything and have not been granted the right to a speedy trial as outlined as is our right in our Constitution. In order for tyranny to grow, institutions have to be done away with and individual liberty destroyed. The regime is doing their best to trample the God-given rights enshrined in our Constitution that our government is supposed to protect in order to tighten their grip on power. In order for tyranny to grow, history must be forgotten. So while most history classes touch on the Civil War being fought to end slavery, they don't go into the propagandizing that went on leading up to the Civil War, and that propagandizing that and truthfully trampling of our constitutional rights or the Southerners' constitutional rights in this instance, they don't get into that in, the, in these history classes and discussions on Civil War, uh, that these things went on to protect this, uh, the institution, the tyranny of slavery from the abolitionist movement. They can't. They, if, if today's tyrants want to uh, embed what they're trying to do to our society, you can't discuss those things of history. Today's tyrants aren't pulling down statues because of some noble cause, because they're racist or whatever. They are pulling them down to try and erase history. Now, I know they I didn't need to say that. You all know that. But I'm saying it anyway. They are, just as a good reminder, they are trying to erase history. They aren't removing these statues because they represent whatever today's uh, flavor of, of, offending, uh, of offending speech or offending history is. That's not why they're tearing these things down. Today's tyrants are pulling those statues down so people who are observing those statues, who are looking at those statues, don't get curious about what those people who are immortalized through that bronze bust actually stood for and what they did. Today's tyrants don't want the deplorable class to go digging around and find out what the real history is behind those statues. They don't want us finding out what the real events were leading up to things like the Civil War. 
Because if we did go digging around for the real history, we would find out that it is repeating itself yet again, and we will be more able to formulate plans based off of what the remedies were to rectify those uh, instances of history. That's why they erase history. That's why they're tearing down these statues. Has nothing to do with anything about being offended and, and racism and this and that. It has everything to do with getting rid of uh, the, the historical facts so we have no point of reference to go back to and see that we, the people, are being had yet again because we didn't know our history. Now, moving on, I have an interesting article here from Zero Hedge titled, Would Americans Benefit from a Government Default? That's an interesting thought. We have a national debt that continues to grow. And honestly, if we're all being honest, it will never be paid off. And it certainly can't be paid off if we keep adding to it. Now, eventually it will get to the point where we as a nation will not be able to serve the interest payments, even with the seemingly unlimited money printing that is now the norm. This is like that um, house you bought with the, the uh, balloon mortgage back pre-housing uh, crisis. What happened there is it, interest rates went up. People couldn't afford uh, to, they couldn't refinance for one and two. They couldn't re they couldn't afford the interest payments once they kicked in. They couldn't pay it all off at once because they couldn't refinance. So a lot of people lost their house. They they couldn't service the debt. That's what's going to happen to us. Now, would a default on our debt actually be that bad of a thing, especially economically? Uh, maybe not. I'll link the article. It's an interesting article, like I said. Uh, raises some interesting points. You think about it and how big our economy is, defaulting on government debt might not be that big of a, a deal. Uh, for a smaller country, yeah, absolutely it would be. A, a smaller economy, yeah, absolutely. It, it would probably crush the economy. Ours, uh, you know, if I said it before, if, if we're, um, if not raising a debt ceiling is going to, crash our economy, we've got too much, too much government spending. So you're thinking about it, you know, a default, it's a bankruptcy, you know, basically. And, you know, what do we see when businesses emerge from bankruptcy? We see some that absolutely they do fail, close up shop, they're done, never to be heard from again. And we have others that reorganize in that bankruptcy. They come out with a renewed focus they come out meaner and leaner and they come out better positioned to be successful. Now, why wouldn't that work for government? I, I think about uh, like Argentina. Argentina doesn't seem to learn their lesson ever, but they've gone through, I think, a, a couple of these at least defaults on their debt. Uh, I think we had, I don't remember if Greece actually got to the point of a default or if they worked things out with the European Union, but years ago when they had their debt crisis, um, you know, they were on the brink. They've come out and uh, you haven't heard much from them since. So in that instance, it might be a no news is good news thing, or it's just being covered up. You know, that could be too. Now, 
I have an excerpt here from this zero hedge piece. Uh, think about this um, this excerpt for a second. It goes like this. In 2021, the U.S. government plans to spend $6.8 trillion. Now, of that $6.8 trillion, about half of it is borrowed, $3 trillion. So if they can't raise the debt ceiling, meaning the government, they would have to cut that $3 trillion that is being borrowed. Now, for a point of reference, the U.S. Treasury takes in $3 trillion, $3.5 trillion in taxes every year. In reality, that is all the U.S. government should be spending. But since the corruptocrats have to launder money here and there and everywhere through their pet projects, through dumb crap like gender studies in the Middle East, we need to borrow money to pay for that spending plan. And we will need to borrow money to pay for Biden's Build Back Better uh, agenda here that this $3.5 trillion um, pork bill is that's on the table that's having trouble making through Congress. I made a point uh, a few shows ago, again, you know, uh, how was, if our economy would collapse without massive government spending, it, then our economy isn't that strong to begin with. If the government is propping up our economy, then they are lying to us and saying uh, that our economy is not as, it's, they're, they're lying to us when they say our economy is strong. It's not, if it's, if, if the threat is there that it will collapse without this massive spending, then our economy is in bigger trouble than uh, anybody knows. And I think that's part of the point the Zero Hedge piece is making uh, as it goes on. It says this. It says, well, $3 trillion is a lot of money. It's roughly 15% of America's GDP. But we have to remember where that $3 trillion came from. The government, after all, doesn't actually create anything. Every dollar it spends comes out of somebody else's pockets. Whose pocket? Well, part of that $3 trillion was bid away from private borrowers like businesses, so it was taken out of the equity markets. And the rest was siphoned from people's savings by the Federal Reserve creating new money. It means that, yes, GDP would decline sharply. You wouldn't have the government propping it up anymore. But wealth would actually grow, perhaps substantially. The businesses would be able to buy the things they need, while the savers keep their money that was doing useful things like paying their retirement and, I'll add on here, investing in, uh, in those businesses. Now, that $3 trillion extra that the government wants to waste is actually pulled out of the marketplace. Did you catch that there? It's... It, the government has to go into the money markets like everybody else, like every other company that's looking for capital. They go out to the marketplace and, and bid for loans. It's not an infinite, uh, it's not an infinite marketplace. There's only so much money out there that banks and such can loan out. So if the government's willing to pay more for the, the cost of that money, then they win it. And that money gets pulled out of, of our economy and gets thrown into a government beast that completely wastes it. That money that the government gets from these capital markets is much better used by business investment. 
And also, you know, the second part here, remember this, that every time the government prints more money, the value of your savings declines. And that includes your 401k. That includes any retirement savings you have. So that extra $3 trillion is going to contribute to inflation that will devalue your savings and your retirement buying power. A government default would then force the U.S. government into lowering its debt threshold. You would have to have some austerity measures. There's nobody in their right mind that after you default, it's going to lend you money and they're not going to lend you money cheaply. You think about uh, being foreclosed on a house. I, th I, th it's, I think it's something like seven years before that comes off your, your credit and you get uh, back to having the good rates. Reducing the debt threshold would have these potential effects back to the uh, zero hedge piece here on, on what those effects would be. It says this, Congress would have to cut back on its far-flung regulatory operations which are, in fact, one of the biggest drags on the economy due to the burden and uncertainty that Obama and Congress have created in terms of healthcare, financial market, and environmental regulations. So they've regulated the hell out of everything, put more barriers in place. Those barriers cost money. Companies are just losing out all over the place. And then, of course, to enforce those regulations, you have to hire more government officials to, to do the audits and, and to administrate uh, those ridiculous regulations that got put in place. You now, this piece goes on. It says this. A recent study by the Phoenix Center found that even a small reduction of 5%, uh, when you're talking about the federal budget here, it's, you know, percentage-wise, that's small, but you know, uh, the uh, law of large numbers here, that equates to $2.8 billion. So this Phoenix Center found that even that small of a reduction, 5% or $2.8 billion in the federal regulatory budget alone would result in about $75 billion in increased private sector GDP each year and the addition of 1.2 million jobs annually. So you get rid of the regulations, you see your GDP grow, and you see it grow without government intervention. And that's what they used to scare us into raising the debt ceiling here. They say, well, the, the economy's going to collapse if we, we, the government, don't spend a bunch of money we don't have. But if we just reduce the regulations, we would see increased... Uh, GDP, we would see increased creation of jobs. You know, the piece goes on to say this. Eliminating the job of even a single regulator grows the American economy by $6.2 million and creates nearly 100 private sector jobs annually. For every, I'd say that's a pretty good trade-off. I get rid of a, a, a regulator in the federal government my, the economy grows by $6.2 million and creates 100 new jobs. That's a pretty good trade-off to me. I trade one for one job for 100. And uh, uh, the piece here, um, what I want to cover, I'll finish up with this and, and this uh, from, the, uh, from the Zero Hedge piece as well. It says this, under a reduced debt ceiling, the federal government would also have to sell off some of its resources. 
It has tens of thousands of buildings that are no longer in use and tens of thousands of buildings that are uh, significantly underused, about 75,000 buildings in total. Now, Congress cutting back on regulatory operations, government selling off assets it no longer uses, we might actually get to running the government as a business instead of the wasteful dumpster fire it currently is if we follow some of this advice. All it takes is to reduce the debt ceiling. Realize uh, what business do you know that, that keeps on underused and not used assets? If we If we were able to do this, Companies would see an influx of available capital that isn't being sucked into wasteful government projects. And those companies could use that available money that's uh, out there for, for loan to generate more wealth for their shareholders and conversely your 401ks. Now is all this wishful thinking? Yes, our elected officials go full out panic mode and tell us the economy is going to collapse when they can't spend your great grandkids money and they whip people into a frenzy over the, the supposed economic collapse to make sure that they can keep raising the spending limit on their credit card. Now, all this said, a good start here would be just let's balance the budget. Let's, let's start there. Let's not spend more than we take in in taxes. That first step has to be spending money we don't have. We stop doing that, we can start tackling some of these other issues within our, our, um, our national debt. We'll finish up today with another Ryan's rant. Today's topic, the Biden Build Back Better bill that is supposedly going to cost us nothing. Nothing is ever free. There is a cost to everything somewhere along the line. That free handout at the store costs the company time and money to produce the product. Government grants are paid for with your taxes. That free dresser you pick up on the side of the road costs you the gas, energy, and time to stop and pick it up. The buffoons in the Biden regime Think once again that the deplorables are stupid and won't pick up on the little nagging detail that the three and a half trillion dollar price tag that is attached to their Build America's Enemies Back Better bill will actually cost something. No, whether it's Raggedy Ann, China Joe, or just the media shills in general. They all continue trying to peddle this pork bill as something that would be of no cost to us, the taxpayer. They tell the lie, they tell it often, and then they attempt to tell it confidently in hopes we will believe it. We see through it, though. These clowns think that this is the 1930s when the only way to get information was the radio or newspaper. And... It was a time when information wasn't available at someone's fingertips in real time. These liars keep peddling this crap as if we do not have the technological capability to go and look things up for ourselves in alternative sources or even in 
our own government's websites and databases. Uh, all the information is there, yet they continually try to lie to us. This whole thing is just another one of those burning building in the background uh, sort of things when, where you have some media flunky telling us it's a mostly peaceful protest going on. And the difference is, is we've got our country and its bank account burning in the background. And we have, you know, these Mensa dropouts telling us it's a mostly cost-free bill. No, I'll make them a deal. If this bill really will cost us nothing, then the Democrats need to attach an amendment to that bill that sets the tax rate at zero across the board. This bill isn't costing us anything, so you don't need to take any money from me. If this truly is a bill that is no cost to me, then daddy government need not get one penny from me to pay for it. The, the, you know, these, these hypocrites won't do that, though. These liars won't do that because this bill is not free. It's going to cost taxpayers $3.5 trillion over and above regular government spending. Maybe they are right about one thing here, though. It won't cost us anything because it's going to saddle our future generations with even more debt that they will be responsible for paying for. Or maybe those future generations make the call to finally default on the debt because there's no way it will ever be paid off in full. Either way, no matter how many lies are spun about this bill costing nothing, there is going to absolutely be some sort of cost to this reckless spending. Friends, that's my show for today. Thank you for listening. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. There you'll find links to my past shows, my original articles, as well as other resources to help arm you with knowledge in fighting off the prevailing narratives of the day. While on my website, shop my store, Living With Liberty Outfitters. It's fall, it's getting cooler, so pick out a nice new hoodie or sweatshirt for yourself. Lastly, I'd be so grateful if you shared, subscribed, and left a positive review of the show, should your listening platform allow. Subscribing helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth. I appreciate you spending part of your day with me. Please help us spread the truth by sharing my show and website with friends and family as well as on your social media accounts. My website is livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Also, let's connect. Follow me on Parlor and Gab. My handle on both is at livingwithliberty. You can also go to the contact page of my website and email me or follow the links there to my social media pages. Liberty isn't a given. We must fight to protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time.